Hi, I'm Leah Potter. And I'm Meredith Roten, and we're two news editors at the GW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. The first week of classes is always a confusing time, especially for freshmen going around to different buildings that they're unfamiliar with, and in particular, the library can also be a difficult terrain for them to navigate. You worked on a story this week about a place where they can ask questions and find help. Yeah, actually, students asked 674 questions uh, from Monday to Thursday of last week. The library just started keeping track of these questions as part of their new Academic Commons initiative. Academic Commons uh, is a centralized place for students to go for academic support services um, and ask any question that they want. It launched in August and the library is now taking feedback from students. And this is right there on the ground floor when you walk in. Yeah, so basically they haven't changed anything about the space, essentially. The STEM lab, which was launched last year, is still there, Um, some new furniture. There's a writing center, it's still there, but now they're all just rebranded as part of one academic commons and there's some more programming. It's more programmatic changes. Now there's a help desk where you can ask any question you want and they track your questions to see what students are asking about. There's a new website where you can search for study spaces you can actually put different filters on what kind of space you're looking for. If you're looking for a quiet room, if you're looking for one with a lot of wall outlets, you can pick whatever you want. Uh, And it'll show you what study spaces are available. So it's a whole menagerie of different things that you can do, um, and all of them are consolidated in in the space. And what other types of resources are available to students in the physical space uh, just to the left when you walk into the library? You can do peer tutoring as well. That's something that's offered. They have a lot of workshops. They've always had the workshops, but Geneva Henry, the Dean of Libraries and Academic Innovation, who helped spearhead this uh, movement to change all of these spaces, said there's going to be more. And any time that students want to talk to peers about their their different departmental work, they can do that there. And was this a long process in terms of developing these resources or is this fairly new? This process came about uh, when former president and executive vice president Peek Sin Chua and Sydney Nelson were in talks with the library starting last summer. So it's been a process of them talking to the library, but when we spoke to Geneva Henry, she said that the work didn't really get underway until May of this year. So they've gotten all of this done in about three months, with launching in, on August 1st. Thanks for chatting with me about these new features in the library. Yeah, no problem. I'm here with two news editors, Sarah Roach and Parth Kotak, and we're here to talk about officials giving the green light on the 18th credit program. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for having us, Leah. Tell me, what is the Student Association currently doing to push for the 18th credit? Well, the Student Association um, just got the okay from officials um, to go ahead and create a program for the 18th credit. Essay leaders haven't um, outlined anything in particular. Former essay leaders released a report in May outlining a few programs that could roll out over the next year um, if, if officials approved them. Um, one being if students had a 3.6 GPA or higher, 
they could apply to take an 18th credit, but the current essay administration doesn't have anything concrete. But some big movement that happened over the past few days was um, administrators declaring support for the 18th credit, which is the first major response that administrators have shown since students really voiced support for this um, for a free 18th credit during um, a referendum vote during last spring's essay elections. And before this, students could only take 17 credits, correct? Yeah, so before, only engineering students and students enrolled in the honors program were allowed to take more than 17 credits. Engineering students could take up to 19 credits, and uh, students in the honors program could take 18 credits under their uh, fixed tuition. And all other undergraduates had to pay about $1,500 to take that additional credit past that um, the 17 credit cap. Under the current policy for students taking 17 credits, students actually have to get approval from their advisor to be able to take more than 17. And Parth, what did faculty have to say about the 18th credit? So faculty were overwhelmingly pretty positive about the idea of adding an additional 18th credit for free, but a lot of them voiced some concerns with regards to students' well-being or with regards to the financial issue um, with respect to a free 18th credit. So I heard, for example, from Professor Yezer in the economics department that, you know, adding the free 18th credit could result in an across-the-board tuition hike. But I also heard from Professor Lal and uh, Elliot that taking the additional 18th credit could be harmful for a lot of students if it's viewed as, some, as a norm rather than as an optional thing for students. So our, our objective has to be to help students. And as we just discussed, if you make this uh, 18 credits uh, rule up, blanket rule, it may actually encourage some students to, to overstretch. And that may not be a service that we're doing now because they may actually end up screwing up. And Sarah, what did students have to say? We talked with more than 10 different students who um, were eligible to take the 18th credit and one student who took the 18th credit and she's an undergraduate who paid for that extra credit. And she said that she really wanted to graduate a year early, but most of the other students who were um, an honor student or an engineering student, they said that you know when, when you're able to take the 18th credit, you can really expand the breadth of classes that, that are available. Um, one student said that he could take a cello class um, alongside all of his other engineering courses and it, it was really it didn't even feel like a credit to him because he was able to just branch out and, and do something that he wouldn't normally be able to do and that's something i heard from some faculty as well so i talked to the head of the russian language department who taught primarily languages that are four credits and he said that students who aren't in the elliott school where languages are a requirement may not take languages because they can uh, a lot of them are four credits and they, they add up quickly. Well, thanks for telling us more about the 18th credit and what's happening on the administrative side of things. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm here with one of our news reporters, Jared Gans, who's been working on a story about the Cancer Center. Thanks for coming on. Good to be here. The Cancer Center launched in 2016 and now it has about 130 researchers. Now that they've established themselves as a research center on campus, what is sort of in their line of sight? Right. Their main goal is in achieving a designation by the National Cancer Institute, NCI, in which they are hoping to receive a grant in which they can be recognized as among the premier cancer centers around the country. Only 17 cancer centers have received this grant, and 
usually it takes a cancer center about 10 years or so to reach this, but they are trending towards that and they are trying to reach that level as quickly as they can. And the cancer center is working with an advisory board to obtain this grant. Right. Back in June, they actually they met with the advisory board to talk about what they're doing right, what steps they need to take in order to reach where they want to be. And Eduardo Sotomayor, who is the director of the center, said the meeting went very well. And the advisory board said that they are heading in the right direction with their collaboration. The Cancer Center is a collaboration of six different schools and 30 different departments. And it brings them all together and gives them a big opportunity to work with a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds. And they would not have this opportunity if it were not for the Cancer Center bringing them all together. I spoke with Adam Friedman, who is an associate professor of dermatology, and a little over a year ago, he actually started a clinic under the Cancer Center working with Sotomayor to look into certain side effects that cancer treatments have on hair, skin, and nails. And he said that a big push for starting this clinic was actually a personal connection he has. How has being in D.C. impacted the types of research projects that are going on at the Cancer Center? Dr. Sonmeyer mentioned how health equity for people who are LGBTQIA is an important goal for the GW Cancer Center, especially with in relation to prostate cancer and breast cancer, which he said he feels is far too under-investigated an area of cancer, especially for these people who have special situations apart from most people and make sure that the GW Cancer Center is giving these people fair health care, equal health care, making sure they're getting the same opportunity to get well. And this was something that he said had been highly underexplored, as you also mentioned, especially for transgender patients with prostate cancer and Mm -hmm. breast cancer. And now he said that GW's Cancer Center is leading in these research efforts where universities like Georgetown or Johns Hopkins might have also started research in these areas. GW is far ahead. Right, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jared, and reporting on what the Cancer Center has been doing over the past couple of years. Thanks for having me. Students of the Burn have a lot to be excited about this year. On top of new models to the Vern Express, they also have a revamped dining hall to eat at. So Ariana Dunham, our video editor, and I both just came back from Pelham in the basement of West Hall. We had a Sunday brunch, and now we are here to talk about it along with some other things going on in Pelham. So Ariana, how did you, a former Vernie, like the brunch that we had? Yeah, it took me back to my freshman year. Me and my roommates used to go to the brunch all the time, and the the brunch had always been all-you-can-eat, but everything else, like, I did pay by the pound Yeah, back in those days. Now it's um, lunch is $8, and dinner is 10 and brunch is $12, so you get anything you want for that much. Yeah, and brunch was around, I don't remember the exact price, but it was around $12 when I lived there. Mm-hmm. It was... I enjoyed it. There was a lot of similar stuff. I talked with the head chef, Walter Ellerby, and he was going through like the, you know, the new courses that are there. From what I saw over Syllabus Week, they did authentic Asian style entrees, um, some really nice like vegetarian options that looked like really cool, and um, also even like an Italian night for lunch and dinner. So like 
they definitely seem to have revamped their game and I think that the all-in-one price really like sells it for me. When we covered food insecurity last year and also when we covered the dining hall on Foggy Bottom campus, J Street closing in 2016, a lot of students were frustrated with the pay by pound system because they felt like it was you were spending pretty much just as much as you would spend at the Whole Foods hot bar, but maybe not as good food. Yeah, and I think for students who are just coming into the university, especially this kind of payment model really helps you just follow a more financially stable path. I think it's really easy to like fall into a hole with your G-World cash, and so like this kind of saves a lot of trouble for freshmen, and I think that um, people on that campus do feel that. But as an upperclassman, for you and for me, I think we both kind of felt like this actually does seem like, like a worthwhile place to go to if you, you know, wanted brunch. Like, DC brunch is expensive. And I felt like I was eating better too. Like it was a lot of balanced food just right at your disposal. Yeah, I know my freshman year I was actually vegan and it was really easy to do because Pelham has some nice options there. They, they do help have healthy options. And then I had to stop being vegan because it was really difficult to do without the dining hall, honestly. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, for people who are really trying to start a health kick, it seemed like they had a really nice selection. Uh, Walter, the chef, said that he had a potpourri of cuisines this time around uh, when I went. And there was fettuccine, risotto, some uh, string beans, and steamed vegetables. I feel like the Vern is a great spot for a freshman who's just like, I don't want to make food. All right, Ariana, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Margo. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us on Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roten and Leah Potter and features culture editor Margot Dines. This podcast is produced by managing editor Matt Cullen, video editor Ariana Dunham, and contributing photo editor Ethan Stoller. And music is produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks to Ariana Dunham, Jared Gans, Parth Kotak, and Sarah Roach for joining us. See you next week.